0: You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat this morning. Uh, So glad to be with you. It's been a while. Uh, I want to assure you that I didn't get the summer off. I'm not a teacher, only they're slackers. Kidding, kidding, kidding. Kidding, kidding, kidding. Wow, wow. Wow. Um, had the privilege of being uh, preaching at other harvests, preaching at Harvest Ottawa, Harvest Berry, Harvest Oakville, and also was down in uh, North Carolina, continuing on studying for my doctorate. So it's been a busy summer. Just want you to know that I've not been slacking all summer. It's been a busy summer. Yeah, but the greatest place to be is home here with you, uh, opening up God's Word with our church family. So we've lo- we love you guys. We've missed you guys. And you know, we can't get, wait to get into uh, not just August, but the new ministry year uh, coming up um, in September. It's exciting, exciting. God's doing some great things, and uh, for the next three weeks, we're just going to uh, dig into a passage of Scripture uh, that is sure to give you a spiritual feast that will satisfy the very hunger of your soul. You can turn with me to Psalm 23 this morning, a well-known psalm. Psalm 23, one of the most famous passages in the Scripture, but I think so often we know it so well. Who memorized this when you were a kid? Pretty much all of us, right? Who remembers this when as a kid in the King James Version? Yeah, that's me. I had no clue what I was memorizing, but I had her down. (laughs) But so often I think some of these familiar passages, we can know them, but we know them maybe so well, they become so familiar to us, we miss the the power of them and the promises of them. You have to come back to Psalm 23 is a real joy for me, because I know that your hearts are going to be filled through this psalm. This is one of the most influential psalms in the history of mankind. Charles Spurgeon called Psalm 23 the pearl of the Psalms. Alexander McLaren said this, the world could spare many a large book better than this little psalm. This psalm has dried many tears and supplied the mold into which many hearts have poured their peaceful faith. I love what Charles Allen says about Psalm 23. He crooned this. He said, if people would repeat Psalm 23 seven times every night before they went to bed, we might never again see an emotional breakdown. It's amazing to me that Psalm 23 has become the funeral psalm because it is so filled with things of life, things that we need every day of our lives, not just the days that somebody dies or the day you die. It, this, is a, this is a daily, life-giving thing, Psalm 23. How many times have you turned to Psalm 23 when you've needed hope, when all seem lost? How many times have you turned to Psalm 23 with a friend when, for healing in, in an absolute devastating time of life? How many turns of, times of Psalm 23 popped into your head when you've needed assurance, when things are completely out of control or f- needed to find peace? In moments of fear, or of course, you need to find comfort in times of overwhelming bereavement. Psalm 23 contains it all, doesn't it? And I'm praying today as we go through this passage for the next three weeks that, that all the things I've just said, if you're even here this morning, and man, man, I need hope. Man, I need peace. Man, man I can't find, seem to find my sense of equilibrium in this life. I'm praying that Psalm 23 will give you all that you need to get your eyes back on the greatness of God and know that you have nothing to fear in this life because God has you from start to finish. Let's read Psalm 23 together. Why don't we stand I don't even up and down and up and down, but let's just stand this morning and read Psalm 23 out of reverence for the Lord and to honor his word. Some of you don't even need your Bibles, but I'm gonna read mine. just just make sure I don't get any words wrong. Get this, the Lord, let's so read it together. The Lord I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Follow me, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Awesome. Stay standing, stay standing. Now close your Bibles, close your eyes. Let me read this over you as a message, a text, a memo from God to you. Personalize this this morning. Let let the word of God just flood over your soul. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Thank you, Jesus. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though, some of us have been there, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, my cup, overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Awesome. Go ahead and grab a seat again this morning to ensure we don't miss one morsel of this feast. I'm just going to break it down in two to three verses at a time. We're going to walk through this verse by verse, starting at the top, Psalm 23, verses 1 2, 3a we're going today. A Psalm of David. We don't know much about Psalm 23 other than that David wrote it. How do we know that David wrote it? Because it says it right here in the Bible. And everything God put there, we believe and we take it for what it is. So it's a Psalm of David. We don't know many circumstances around Psalm 23, except we know that David wrote it. It could have been maybe while he was um, actually shepherding his flock, his father's flock when he was a young boy. Maybe in one night he's just like, man, the Lord is my shepherd. We don't know. Maybe it was before he fought Goliath, and he's like, oh, man, I need something to... Fire me up and, and I'm just gonna trust in God as I'm gonna meet that giant. Maybe it was the day before he first took the throne. And this is the day that, that he sat and he pondered the Lord and wrote this psalm. Maybe it was after a, losing a battle and he's still alive, or maybe they won a battle, and maybe it was the last day before he the day before he took his last breath as he looked back over his whole life and said, Wow, look at the Lord, look at the Lord. We're not sure, but we are sure of this. And these six short verses, they are packed with a compelling. Confidence in the reality of our God. That's what it all boils down to, the compelling confidence that every believer has in the reality of God. Here's the first thing I want you to write in your notes as we study this passage together. The Lord is my shepherd, he is all I need is the title of today's sermon. Point number one, I am God's and he is mine. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Stop and think about that with me for a moment. The Lord is my shepherd. So familiar we are with this phrase that, that it's sort of like driving by Niagara Falls after you lived here a while all your visitors at the door go like, whoa, at the window, go, look at that stuff. And you're like, wind up the windows, we're gonna get wet. Ever seen water go over a rock before? It's the same thing, just a little bit bigger. And they're like, no, it's not. This is Niagara Falls. Get this. The Lord is my shepherd. Let that sink into your soul for a second. This is the greatest reality on the planet that we have as believers. God, the Lord, the Jehovah, the existing one who stands in a league of his own is with me. The word Lord is the English translation of the great Old Testament personal name for God. First time we see his name in the Old Testament when God reveals himself to Moses at the burning bush. And what does he, who does he reveal himself as to Moses? I am Who I am. The Lord, he's all-encompassing. He's eternal. He's self-contained. He is highest authority. Think about this when it comes to the great I am. I am who I am. God is timeless. He has no beginning and no end. Every one of us. We've got a birth date, we're going to have an expiry date, and our lives can be summarized and quantified with what happens in our life. God doesn't have that. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He stands above time, yet he chooses to work within time. God is eternal. Think about this, the Lord. God is self-sufficient. He is self-contained with everything he could ever need: all wisdom, all power, all strength, all resources. Everyone else on this planet has needs. You have needs. I have needs. We have social needs and emotional needs and mental needs and spiritual needs and and all kinds of needs. How many times do you come to your life and like, oh man, I just I just need something beyond my. I just don't have what it takes. Put the help. Ever been there? Guess what? God has never been there. He's never been in this place like, I don't know what to do. I don't have any reason. Everything he's ever needed to be sustained is encompassed in who? Himself. And everything we need comes from him as well. God holds all authority. Get this? He answers to no one. Most of us like to think we answer to no one. But we all answer to someone. We answer to the law. We answer to our spouses Kids, you answer to your parents. We answer to our church family, those who keep us accountable. We answer to our elders, and yet God, who does he account for? Who does he he held accountable by? Nobody, why? Because he stands above everything and everybody. The Lord, the great I am, the king of all kings. This is God. When was the last time you stopped to just get your mind wrapped around the great I am, the Lord? The Lord. The Lord is. He just is. But he's also this. He is, what's the text say? My shepherd. In the grand totality of the greatness of God, you can easily say that God is, but yet this, God is this. God is also my shepherd, which means he's involved in my life. He's interested in me. He personally loves me. The Lord is my shepherd. Let's be honest. This analogy of shepherd, we see little pictures of shepherds on Sunday school material and stuff. But we really don't get shepherd. We get farmer a little bit. Anyone farm here? So we get the farmer a little bit. We're at least driven by farms. When was the last time you ran into a Shepherd. Yeah, me too. So we've come to equate farming and shepherds. sort of the same thing, and it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. I worked on a farm for a summer, a dairy farm. You know that. I've told you my goofy stories from doing everything wrong on the dairy farm. But on a dairy farm, they take care of animals. Here's what they take care of. them: They put them in their stalls. They clean up after them. They feed them. They milk them. They send them out. They gather them you know, into the yard that's fence. They gather them in again, and, and they, they, do, they do a good job, but there's really no kind of emotional connection to the Cows, you know why? Because that truck's coming. And it's going to be on their dinner plate soon. But shepherding's a whole different gig than that. David uh, chose this, I believe, on purpose. He got shepherd. He understood shepherd. Shepherd is a 24 hour a day, seven day a week. What is your only job to do? You look after sheep. David Shepherd. his whole life, was tending to his father's sheep. He's the one leading the sheep to pastures. He's the one scooping up the injured sheep to, to bring them back. He's the one chasing the wandering sheep. He's the one leading them to water and providing for them. He's the one sleeping at the sheep pen at night, counting them make sure they're all there, with one eye open, ready to do whatever it takes to defend his father's flock. David had a PhD in sheep. It's a whole different thing than farming today. In fact, shepherds was was given to the least of those in society. Usually the youngest child would be forced to go and watch his father's sheep. No one in that day was, when they were in grade one, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a rabbi. I want to be a shepherd, said no one. In fact, I actually did run into a shepherd. There's a picture on the screen here when we were in Israel a couple years ago, so I had to take a picture. The The top right is him sleeping. Actually, he's supposed to be watching sheep. That's not how God is. I just thought it was interesting, so I took the picture. And then there's the sheep. And then, of course, it looks like I just woke up too. I was in the back of the truck sleeping. But I'm like, I got to get a picture of the shepherd. Have you ever see shepherds? And smelly, probably not very educated, whole life by himself tending the sheep. It's a cool experience, but I left that going like, who'd want to be a shepherd? Can I tell you who'd want to be a shepherd for your soul? God. Who'd want to care for wandering, nasty sheep that can't do anything for themselves? God would want that for his title for our lives. Doesn't that astound you just a little bit? The Lord is my shepherd. This is how God refers to himself in both the Old and the New Testament uh, of how he interacts with his his people. He's, He's not the principal. He's not the policeman. He's the shepherd that cares for a sheep. Old Testament, Psalm 28, verse 9. He carries this title well. God shepherds his people and will carry them forever. Looking forward to the New Testament, Isaiah 40, verse 11, is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And it says this, the coming Messiah will tend the flock like a shepherd. Everybody in that day got it. Not farmer, shepherd, whole different deal. Get further on the New Testament and Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd and the great shepherd and the chief shepherd. The title that Jesus carries with honor and distinction, what are you Jesus? I'm the shepherd of my people. All the titles. Sure he's king. All powerful. So some of us look at Jesus, right, the, the, the king in glory, but we fail to realize that, yes, he's all-powerful king in glory, coming in a righteous judgment, but he's also the gentle shepherd that carries and loves his sheep. It's important to have both pictures of Jesus on the walls of your heart to get the proper perspective. And God says in his word that for, for Jesus to be a shepherd for his people is a privilege. It's, it's sort of the same thing we have with our kids, those us are parents. Man, we love our kids, don't we? And it's a privilege to care for our kids, even from the very first day when they can't do anything by themselves. And let's be honest, it's frustrating some days. Are they crying again? Did they do that in their diaper again? (laughs) Will this kid ever grow up? And yet what a privilege and what an honor it is to care for our children. It's the greatest honor we carry as parents. To have children, I appreciate being your pastor. You know my greatest honor is? To be the husband to my wife and to be the father of my children. I love my kids. And I'm not one of those dads that can't wait till they get out of the house. It's an honor I'll carry for my whole life. In fact, one of our kids, you know her well, Maya, she's never gonna leave home. We get that, we understand that. You know what I've come to realize? I used to really regret that and be frustrated by that and lament all the things that have been, will be lost you know in the empty nester stage. You know what I've come to realize? One of my greatest privileges in life is caring for my little girl who can't do it by herself and never will. It's a picture of really what a sheep is and a shepherd. Why is it so important? Because that picture of Maya, you know, we think of, of sh- one day, that picture of Maya is who we are when it comes to God. We're never going to be able to do it by ourselves. We are sheep. What are sheep? Some of the dumbest animals on the planet, unfortunately, but true. So this idea of, Jesus, of God being our shepherd is, a, is an encouragement to us, is a blessing to us, because get this, we all need a shepherd. We think we don't, but we all need a shepherd. Uh, Isaiah 53, verse Six says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned, every one of us, to our own way. Jesus says in Mark nine thirty six: saw the crowds, the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep can do nothing by themselves. Spiritually, all we're gonna do, if we're left to our own device, we're gonna wander, we're, gonna find, we're, gonna, we're not gonna find food. We're gonna find all the holes. We're gonna eventually get attacked by something and die. We need a shepherd. No point denying it, no point trying to worm away around it. We need a shepherd. And God says, look no further, I will be your shepherd. John 15, 5. Apart from God, apart from Jesus, we can do what on our own? We can do. Sounds a lot like sheep, doesn't it? Well, I'm not a sheep, I'm a. You're a sheep. And spiritually, we're so desperate for a shepherd. Without a shepherd, sheep die. Without a shepherd taking care of them, sheep can't survive. Spiritually, there's no hope for us without a shepherd. It's only in Jesus Christ that we have a connection to the, 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 to, to the chief shepherds. Only through Jesus Christ we have a connection to God. We need a shepherd, we need saving, we need rescuing, not just once, but every day of our lives. We need to put our hope in God. He's the only shepherd designed for your soul. It's not just that we need a shepherd. Deep down, you think about it. Deep down, the scenarios of you've gone through in life, you long for a shepherd. So many people try and tell me, oh, I'm a self-made man or I'm a self-made woman. I don't need anybody or anything. Yeah, put yourself, say that same thing when you're sitting at your father's or your daughter's funeral and you don't know how to heal your own soul. In that moment you realize, man, I need a shepherd. I say those same things when the world falls out from underneath you and you, you're looking around you've got nothing to hold on to and, and everybody else seems stable and your ground's shaking and you're like, no, I got this. You know you don't have this. What do you need? What are you longing for? This is God reminding you you need a shepherd. When everybody else knows what to do and you don't and you pretend you do and all tough, I'm not tough, my knees aren't knocking, Boom, bump, boom. Start God reminding you, your deepest longing in your life, your deepest longing, God created you with this, is for a shepherd. God says to you, I will be your shepherd. I'll faithfully watch over your life. The Lord is my shepherd. Let that sink into your soul today. The Lord is my shepherd. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is not your reality today. Your reality is the shepherd is calling your name and wants you to come and put your hope and your life in him. But if you are a believer, if you follow Jesus, this is your ultimate hope in life. It's not in your bank account. It's not in what you've accomplished. It's in the fact that you have a shepherd. Because if you have a shepherd, you have everything. You miss your shepherd. You have nothing. Look what it says next. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's not a, hey, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't want him. If I have the Lord as my shepherd, there's nothing else that I could ever possibly need or want. With the shepherd, I have everything that my heart could ever possibly desire. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. My own translation of this verse goes something like this The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the all sufficient one will satisfy my needs with all sufficiency. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. One commentator points this out, I shall not want is both a declaration and also a decision. It's this, is if I really believe that God is my shepherd, I choose to believe I need nothing else in my life. My hope will be found in one place and one place alone, and that is God himself. And we see the fullness of God, just go back to point number one again, every once in a while, this week when you see the fullness of God, you'll realize that you don't really need anything else. And anything else your heart craves that's other than God, it's the enemy putting something in your brain to get you off track and distract you and dissuade you from your main goal and focus, which is to seek after God with all of your heart. Isn't it interesting? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What's two words that define our society today? I want. You hear from coming from Christian's lips. So the Lord is my shepherd, but boy, do I want, I want, I want, I want. If only I could have, then my life would be complete. No, no. If you have a shepherd, your life is complete. If only I could have a little more stuff, then my wants would be fulfilled. And No. If only I could have a little more prestige, or if only if I could eat a little more, then I'd be satisfied. Truth is, you have everything you could possibly want and need in the good shepherd already. It's an easy thing to preach, but it's hard to wrap our minds and hearts around, isn't it? When was the last time you looked up to heaven and said, oh God, I have you, I don't want or need anything else? Usually it's like, thank you, God, I have you. Quick start to a prayer. Now please... The prayer should end. Oh God, I'm thankful I have you. You're all I need. You're all I want. In fact, the only other time this word... The Hebrew word hasar, to lack or to want, is used in the Bible. is in Nehemiah 9 verse 21. You know what it's talking about in Nehemiah 9 21? It's talking about Israel's experience in the wilderness. For 40 years, for 40 years they lived in the wilderness and they didn't have any wants. Or they didn't lack anything. God supplies it all. The rest of this text... The next few verses shows us what God supplies for us. It shows us why we don't need anything other than God. He's our hope. He's our salvation. Look at verse 3. Pray this is your testimony that you say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If it's not there, ask God to show, have him show himself to you in such a great way that you don't want or need anything else. Look at verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters couple reasons why we don't need anything else. Number one is he cares for my every need. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. What's this really talking about? It's talking about that God promises to provide for our every need. What's the chief aim of the shepherd? To provide for the needs of the sheep. Without the shepherd, the sheep can't find the green pastures. They're not smart enough. They're not strong enough. They just can't seem to do it. They have a GPS like yours when it's out of satellite range. It's just computing, computing, computing. And the shepherd's job is to help them find the pasture that's not just lush as in full, but that's safe that they can eat without fear. The shepherd's job is to find them water, just like you and I have to eat and drink every day. So sheep have to eat and drink every day. Usually around noon, the sheep would be watered. So the shepherd, by noon, would have to find them a brook where they could... Where they could Stick their noses in and drink. It couldn't be a fast-moving brook. Sheep are complicated. Had to be still because they couldn't handle the, the, the ripples. If there was no water. The shepherd would dig a hole deep enough to find water. Then he'd cover it with a rock. And he always brought a bucket with him to get water for his sheep. Without food and water, sheep would die. And after they'd eat and drink, what would happen is they'd lie down and have a nap together under the, some kind of tree at the noon sun. It's a picture on the screen, green pastures and still waters. Look at that picture, green pastures, still waters. Doesn't it just give even like comfort to your soul just looking at those? This is what the shepherd provides for us, green pastures, still waters, both physically and spiritually. Do you realize if you're a child of God, God has promised to provide for you every single thing you not want, but you need in life? Green pastures, still waters is a picture of plenty. It's a picture of good. It's a picture of blessing. It's a picture of how God promises to care for us. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 25 to 32, we're told Jesus tells us don't don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink and put on. If the Lord feeds the birds of the air and clothes the lilies of the field, how much more will he look after you? Matthew 7, if you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God will always give us what we need. Even bad shepherds aim for this. We have the good shepherd, the great shepherd, caring for our physical being, but he also cares cares for our spiritual being. Green pastures and still waters also refer to the soul. The spiritual nourishment that every one of us longs for and we look for in the world, we can't find it. God promises to nourish our souls and give us green pastures and still waters through the word of God. He's prepared for us a feast every single day right here. It's a feast to be devoured every single day. And every time you open up your Bible, here's what what God's doing. He's providing for you a spiritual meal that'll satisfy you and sustain you for the days and the weeks ahead for whatever you're going to encounter. Sometimes we get all wrapped up in the physical realities and forget about the spiritual realities. Our shepherd takes care of both. He's that good to us. It's amazing to think about the implications of even verse 2. I have a good shepherd and I have everything I'll ever need. Charles Spurgeon said this We have all things and abound in all things, not because I have a good store of money in the bank, not because I have skill and wit with which to win my bread, but because the Lord is my shepherd. You know what this means for us, brothers and sisters? This means for us that we can actually walk in contentment over discontentment in our lives. What's one of the greatest plagues of our day? I believe it's discontentment in our souls. We don't live by the I shall not want. We live by the I want. And yet, look at this passage. If this is true, if this is true today, that the Lord is my shepherd and he makes me lie down in green abundant pastures, he leaves me beside still waters, I may not be a millionaire, but guess what? I have green pastures. And I can be done with looking for the greener pastures on the other side of the fence, which we all seem to do, and just simply look at our pastures and realize that how green they are and how it contains everything you have, everything you need for this day and for the journey ahead. That is an awesome reality. You can once and for all be done with discontentment by just simply believing verses one and two. It also means this, that I can live with thankfulness over thanklessness. can live with thankfulness over thanklessness. Website called rememberthepoor.org I looked at today reminded me of this, not today, this week, reminded me of this truth. That if you have food in your fridge and clothes on your back and a roof over your head and a little bit of extra in the bank, you are in the top probably 10% of wealthy in the world. We can be thankful and have hearts of gratitude, again, steals the life, steals the joy. when we, we don't just stop and thank the Lord and keep our eyes fixed on him. Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. How many times do we seek all these things, hoping Jesus will be added to us? When it's the opposite, seek Jesus and all these things will be added to us. God promised to provide for every, our every need. This is our good shepherd. Get this though, he also provides rest for my soul. He also provides rest for my soul. This is a kind of a double meaning in verse two, and I couldn't skip past it, getting this point out. Look at verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. It, it, it's this picture of rest for your soul. Green pastures. You ever come up to a green pasture? You're like, man, I want to get out of my car. I just want to sit in that pasture and just sit there for the whole day. You ever driven past something like that? Happens to me every time I go in Ed Hager's backyard, actually. He's got this perfect grass that's like a carpet. And I want to take my shoes off and just lay in it because it's it's the rest that it looks so restful. The cottage up up north, well, what do we want to do when we get to the cottage? We want to get out of the car. We want to go and put up a chair at the water and just sit and look at the lake. Why is that? Because there's something about water. What does it do? It just seems to bring soothing and rest to our souls. Everything from the town seems to go away and all we have is water and it just seems to like wash over our souls with peace. But you don't have to go to Ed Hager's house. You don't have to go to the cottage to find rest for your soul. Our ultimate rest is found where? It's found in Jesus Christ. He promises to give us true rest that'll truly satisfy He will make us lie down in green pastures and lead us beside still waters. This is what God does for us. Philip Keller in his book, Uh, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, notes that sheep like us do not lie down easily. For us, I think it's because we're so busy, busy, busy for sheep, they just have to have everything perfect, almost like a princess, before they can go to sleep. And so before sheep will lay down, they have to have. It has to be, everything has to be good in the flock. There can't be no stress in the flock. They're very social animals. There can't be any flies or they won't go to sleep. There can't be any anxiousness in their hearts. If they're anxious, they won't lay down. If they're hungry, they won't sleep. And so what the shepherd does is the shepherd takes care of all of these things and then sometimes he has to physically actually pick them up and put them down to sleep. This is what God promises for us. We're a lot more like sheep than we think. How many times have you laid awake at night worrying about all the things that I just described that sheep worry about? Dissension in the family or the church body. Fear in your heart for something. Flies, you away with your fly swatter trying to take care of all of your problems, trying to solve the problems of the world. You've even gone to bed a little hungry, but you forget that your good shepherd has promised to take care of all of those things in your life so that you can have rest. What's your job in rest? To rest. What's God's job? To take care of all of the things that cause us unrest in our hearts. Isn't that really what our hearts long for? Isn't that what the world longs for, rest? I'll be honest, didn't today you come in here, what do you want more than anything else? I just want rest. I don't want more money. I want my soul to be at peace. And yet somehow we've taken the job of shepherd and thinking that I'll have rest when I can solve or accomplish or do. We've got it all backwards. Rest will not come when that kid is out of diapers. Rest will not come when The kids are out of the house or that new job happens. If I can just have a new job, I'll have rest. Rest doesn't even come with vacation. It's a bit of a rest. As you know, we went on sabbatical this year for two months. January, February, April hit. And I was like, did we really go away? Why is that? Because true rest only comes through putting your life in Jesus Christ. True rest only comes when you trust the shepherd's sovereign care in everything in your life. Leaving your life in his hands. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Sometimes God makes us lie down by giving us things that take us out of our routine. By putting us in a hospital bed or causing our jobs to be gone so that we have nothing to do but rest. Why? Because he loves you and he wants to remind you that he is good and he is in control and he has you covered from top to bottom. Makes me lie down in green pastures. When was the last time you went to bed at night Trusting that your shepherd had absolutely everything looked after in your life, so that you could just close your eyes and enjoy rests. It was the last time in your life you stopped to be still and know that I am God, and I am the good shepherd. This is what the shepherd does for his sheep. Here's where true rest comes from. It doesn't come from chasing after the things of the world. Here's where true rest comes from. Here's where you come to experience God's rest. I know some of you guys are like, man, I love those pictures. I want that in my soul. Here's where it comes from. Three things. It comes through prayer. You want soul rest? You want the rest of the shepherd? It comes through prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Think of that old song we used to sing when I was a kid the hymn, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our griefs, sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. You know that song? Oh, what peace. God offers it. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus through prayer. I want rest, I want rest. Start seeking the Lord through prayer and you'll find rest. What about this through his promises? John 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. Where's your peace come from? In him. In this world you will have trouble. Blows that myth out of the water, that happy, healthy, prosperity thing. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. The promises of God give us peace, and not just to read them, but to believe them and accept them. Look at this one. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Where does our peace come from? A peace doesn't come from circumstances or our mothers or our fathers. It comes from God as we keep our eyes and hearts fixed on him and his promises. Here's the last thing. It comes through his presence. Exodus 33, verse 14, my presence will go with you wherever you go and I will give you rest. Remember Moses, God, if you're not going with us, we're not going. God says, okay, my presence will go with you and I will give you what? The one thing we long for the most, rest. Matthew 28, I'm sorry, Matthew 18. Come to me, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. A rest is in Jesus Christ. Do you know that you have soul rest in Jesus Christ? You trust in the shepherd and he will give you rest. What awesome realities of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want he makes me, thank you God, for making me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Here's the last one. He restores my soul. He breathes new life into my soul. Even today, maybe some of you are coming, like I want new life. I want something new to happen in me. Where does it come from? It comes from the Lord. He restores my soul, verse three. In Hebrew, this can mean he brings me to repentance or conversion. But the word translated soul is actually translated life. Life. And in the context of shepherding, it most likely means the Lord restores me to physical or spiritual health in my life. The Lord restores my life, again from uh, Philip uh, Keller. uh, Sheep are notorious for being one of the only animals that sometimes gets themselves on the ground. And once they get on the ground, they can't get themselves back up again. Even when they go to to lie down, if there's a little bit of a, a, a slant and they're going to lie down and get caught on their side, what will happen is they lay on their side, they'll kick like crazy trying to right themselves, and only to find themselves on their back, kicking and frantically, pen, you know, pawing at the air. And what happens within a few hours is the gases build up within them, the blood to their circulation to their legs is cut off, and ultimately that position kills a sheep in about three four hours, apparently. And the other sheep aren't smart enough to come and be like nudging with their heads and knocking back over. They're at the mercy of the shepherd. And so the good shepherd comes along and he sees a sheep like this. And as soon as he hears the "Ah," he's there to scoop up the anxious, fearful, dying sheep and put them back on their feet again. To he restores their life. And gets them going in the direction that they need to go yet again. It's uncanny how much we're like sheep, isn't it? Everything's going so good, and and, and I don't know, I'm just going to lay down for a nap, and then bam! Next thing you know, you're on your side with some temptation of sin, or some bad news you got, or... Things just aren't working out the way you want you're trying to frantically get back on your feet. We all do this, right? I'm gonna do it, don't need anyone else, don't need God. I can do it, I can do it. Only to find yourself a few hours later like fully on your back going, how did I get here? Now what? Here's now what. You have a good shepherd who loves restoring the souls of his sheep that call out to him, When we get in these spiritual scenarios where we have nothing left, and, and the more you kick, let's be honest, the more you kick, the more exhausted you get, the more exhausted you get, the more hopelessly you get, hopeless you get, and the more hopeless you get, the more despair sets in. And the enemy pounces on that, and you start thinking, there's no hope for me anymore. I can never be restored. What a lie from the pit of hell. He restores my soul. God's in the business of restoring souls. He brings back wandering sinners. He, he finds sheep that weren't even in his fold and brings them to himself. He's in the business of scooping up wounded sheep and, and bringing, nurturing them back to health. He takes the sheep that's on its back and sets it back on its feet. Your mom can't do that for you. Your dad can't do that for you. Your self-help books can't do that for you. Your drugs and alcohol and sex and pleasure is not gonna do that for you. Even though you think It will. Only the good shepherd has the authority and the power to do anything in your soul. He restores. So often we think we just need a day at the spa. We just need a day off away from the kids and that'll bring restoration. That doesn't bring restoration. Jesus brings restoration. Restoration. The nest tea plunge. Remember the nest tea plunge you used to have? Drink a nest tea and you fall backwards, all of a sudden this great big puddle appears and the person falls backwards, gets splashed up, comes up again. It's not the nest tea plunge we need today, it's the, it's the fall back in the arms of Jesus plunge. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And when I fall into the arms of Jesus, guess what? He, Isaiah chapter 40 says, verse, eight, verse 28, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall soar on the wings of eagles. They shall run and not be faint. They will continue on in the strength and the grace of God. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm praying that this whole sermon series brings you to the reality that you have nothing apart from God. That everything you want comes from God. All your desires are met in God. That this will simply stir within you a desire to seek after God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. But with him, you have everything you could ever need. The Lord is my shepherd. I encourage you with this, this, over the next three weeks, memorize this passage. Memorize it in your heart. Take up the challenge at the beginning. Say this seven times a night as individuals, as a family, and see how the Lord transforms you with the simple reality that you have a shepherd who will take care of you every step of the way. Isn't that an awesome truth? I need it. You need it. God loves when we understand the fullness of who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the word of God this morning. We love the times where you challenge us and, 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 and really spur us on. We also love the times where you just come alongside and comfort us and give us hope and give us life. This is one of those times, Father. I pray for every person in the audience today. Would you allow this message not just to rattle around in their minds, but would you allow this message to hit the very depths of our souls? God, I know there's so much struggle, so much strife, so much pain even represented here. Father, would you release us from striving to be the shepherd of our lives, and would, you, would Would you allow us the freedom to be sheep and to put our hope in the Good Shepherd? Thank you, God, that you promised us over and over in Scripture that you won't just save us, but you'll care for us and you'll carry us and you'll cherish us this whole life long. Father, you instill within us a deep love for Jesus, a deeper faith than we have. God, we all need greater faith. It's one thing to say this passage, it's one thing to preach it, but God, could you help us live it now, To, to know it in our minds, to grasp it in our hearts in a way that changes us, that we walk in the wonderful knowledge that we have a God that is so high and so holy and so powerful, at the same time, so close and so near and so personal, and so loving. Speak to our hearts, God, what you need to speak to our hearts today with this sermon. May we not run out of here thinking it was just another sermon. But may you reveal your glory to us through the Holy Spirit, for your namesake, amen.